This is the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Now, here's Jason Jones. Aloha, everybody, and welcome to the Jason Jones Show. I am your host, Jason Jones. Okay, guys, as promised, we are going to recap. We're going to look back at the Pope's visit set within the modern history of Iraq, Iraq from 1979 until today. And we have a guest. This is, this is the most important show we have ever done and, and or probably could ever do. This show is going to be very unique. Our guest has to come on as anonymous. He has worked within the United States government. He, he does not work in the government anymore. He's been working in Iraq or in the region now for over 20 years. He, he, in the service of our country and in, in the service of the interests of the people of Iraq, he's been wounded seriously three times. He has a PhD in Arabic from one of the most prestigious universities in the world. He's fluent in Arabic, fluent in Farsi, and um, has a real love and knowledge for the people as only somebody who is not only a scholar, but has also lived and worked in that country for over two decades, could have. In other words, he's probably really the one of the most, if not the most knowledgeable person alive on Iraq, period, the, an Amer- as an American, period. He's come on our show as anonymous, and we are going to discuss the Pope's visit, and then we're going to broaden the uh, perspective back a little bit. We're going to step back a little bit and look at his visit within modern history of Iraq. I need you to share the show with your members of Congress, with policymakers. You have family or friends who are field-grade officers. You need to share this with them, or they're getting ready to deploy to Iraq. You need to share this with them. You also need to share this with your bishop, friends who are celebrities or persons of interest. You know, really, the, I talk about this at the end, but the destiny of the Iraqi people and our destiny uh, by decisions that our politicians have made have been intertwined. And this is a very special show. Okay, so this episode has been brought to you by the Vulnerable People Project, standing in solidarity with the vulnerable. Go to thegreatcampaign.org, become a monthly donor, and a donation of $20 or more, you get a free copy of my book, The Race to Save Our Century. I wrote that with John Smirak that looks at the causes of genocide, democide, and total war in the 20th century, and how we can order our political communities to make sure we don't see a repeat. When we, this book came out, It was prior to the rise of ISIS. We predicted it. We predicted the rise of an entity like ISIS and said if we can't stop it, it's going to lead to cascading genocides. Well, we've seen that. We've seen this is already happening in the less than 10 years since our book came out. Go to thegreatcampaign.org and mean it when we say never again. We mean it when we say never again. We mean it with our thoughts. We mean it with our mind. We mean it with our soul. We mean it. Go to thegreatcampaign.org. This episode, of course, is also being brought to you by my favorite pillow and yours, my pillow. I've been sleeping with it for now for several months. I have never, ever felt more rested. You need to know this about my pillow. It doesn't go flat. You can wash and dry them as many times as you want, and they maintain their shape. They're, main, they're made in the USA. Um, right now, you know, I wanted, to, I wanted to tell you to get the mattress topper, and you need to get the mattress topper. If you don't have the mattress topper, you are missing out. It is luxurious. But right now, Mike is offering a buy one, get one on his Giza sheets. They are made with the world's best cotton called Giza. 
They are grown only in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. It's long staple cotton makes it ultra soft and breathable. It's got a sateen weave. You know that's luxurious. It's available in multiple colors, styles, and sizes. Machine washable and durable. 10-year warranty. 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Mike Lindell says, the first night you sleep in my sheets, you'll never want to sleep in anything else. I concur with that. That is a true statement. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and there you will find deep discounts, amazing offers, but you got to use the code Jones. All right, let's get on with this incredible interview on Iraq, the Pope's visit to Iraq, and the beautiful people of Iraq. It's the Jason Jones Show. Aloha, John. Welcome to the Jason Jones Show. It's great to be here, Jason. Uh, you know, I'm going to ask you uh, an impossible question. I, I got into your credentials in the introduction, but uh, the impossible question is, before we get into the Pope's visit and what it means to the people of Iraq and what it means maybe to the Catholic Church, the impossible question is, can you, can you give us a quick synopsis as somebody who's lived and worked in the country for over two decades and, and all around the region. You have a PhD in Arabic. You're fluent in the language. You are, are there now. You live there now. Can you give us just a quick synopsis of Iraq and the people of Iraq? Is it, it would be impossible if I, if I were to say do that for Dubuque, Iowa, and I'm asking for uh, one of the most historic countries in the history, in the, in the world. Um, but from your perspective, could you sort of give us some of the texture of, of Iraq? Sure. Um... I think when you look at Iraq, you have to keep in mind, and I'm going to try to really personalize this, um, what it's like to, to live there, what it's like to have Iraqi friends, um, and maybe try to put, put people into the minds of the Iraqi people. I think you have to contextualize Iraq um, insofar as it's a country that's been through absolute hell for the past 40 years. So... Um, one of the most brutal wars of the 20th century, the Iran-Iraq War, um, which resulted in a million casualties, which was quickly followed by Saddam's invasion of Kuwait, and then the first Gulf War, and then brutal sanctions throughout the 90s. Um, you had um, basically acts of, of uh, genocide committed against people in the south of Iraq, um, who were exhorted to rise against Saddam by uh, uh, George Bush, the senior, and were killed in, in the hundreds of thousands, uh, as was evidenced by the mass graves that we found um, after the invasion in 2003. Um, you had a brutal campaign against the Kurds in the north, and then you had the invasion in 2003. Um, which just toppled the regime, toppled Iraqi society, and uh, helped launch what was virtually a civil war that went on approximately from 2003 to 2004 until the U.S. military, along with Iraqi support, was able to get it under control in, in about 2008, 2009. 
Um, this was followed by the invasion of the U.S. withdrew in 2011 before Iraq was really ready to stand on its own two feet from a security perspective. The Islamic State invaded, took advantage of this, invaded in 2014, um, took over a quarter of the country approximately, um, the, it, uh, sacked the city of Mosul, um, destroyed countless villages in the Nineveh Plains, where you had Christians and Yazidis who had lived there for centuries, put people into slavery. So this is this is a place that has experienced hell on earth. And all that being said, uh, the Iraqi people are some of the nicest people you will ever meet. They're some of the most welcoming people you will ever meet. Um, they're some of the most hospitable people you ever meet. Um, and when I go back to Iraq, I feel like I'm 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 going home. And they are also some of the, the most versatile people you you'll ever meet. Um, when a bomb goes off in Iraq, a suicide bomb, people clean up, clean up, um, and get back to work. And um, something that would shatter another society. Um, Iraqis are so resilient and so tough. They just keep going, um, but they don't really have a choice. And um, but to that hospitality, to to that that um, that respect for guests, I mean, that's something that can segue into the Pope's visit, um, because the Pope was treated in characteristic Iraqi fashion. Uh, the Iraqis treat guests better than their own people. You know when you. Um... I'm always, I've been focused so much on Iraq since the invasion. And when you pull it back to look 40 years and then you think of the Iran-Iraq war and then you put our brutal sanctions in there, it really does even magnify the, just the, the, the relentless trauma or Saddam's war with the Kurds. It's just been one endless war really for 40 years. It's been a 40 years, 40 years war. Um, they've, they've experienced 9-11 thousands of times over. Yeah, absolutely. And and 2003 which which seemed like seemed like their their historical chance this this bright light finally they they got their chance. Um they had the carpet, you know, pulled out from under them and and um with the withdrawal um I think largely. And um so it's been it's been devastation after de devastation and disappointment after disappointment. Yet at the same time, I find the Iraqi people to be incredible, incredible people of faith, both in the religious sense and faith in their own families and friends. The family unit in Iraq is incredibly strong. It's one. Of, it's another reason why I love being in Iraq. Um, just the closeness of, of families. And friends, and you I mean you you can rely on people. Um, I couldn't I couldn't have survived being in Iraq and in, in, in many of the phases that I was there because of the just just utter violence of 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 combat conditions. If it weren't for Iraqis watching my back, um, and I rarely used Western security. I used I used Iraqi security or or networks uh, of friends and people that would look out for me. Well, I had the privilege of traveling uh, in Iraq with you, and 
And, you know, I felt I would not have felt safe with Western security, but with our, with your Iraqi friends, I felt not only like you said safe, but I felt like I was with friends and they always would say that you, John, they would call you their brother. They would, they would say you're Iraqi. I remember one, a former Iraqi general said to me, there's two ways to be Iraqi. Either um, it's, it's sand is in your blood or your blood is in our sand. And, And they said, you are Iraqi because you have put your literally sorrowfully, you you've put your, your blood in the sand. Now the West We've been really silent in the midst of the Iran-Iraq war was a proxy war to our benefit. You had the, the sanctions, uh, our sanctions, which brutalized the people of Iraq. Then we sort of celebrated the quote-unquote shock and awe of the invasion mm-hmm. against the thug that was Saddam Hussein. Uh, and then you had the rise of ISIS, and the Western world was silent as a Catholic. Sure. My pope was was absolutely silent. Our, our sure. State Department led the way for this catastrophe. And so is it an insult? I, 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 you know, I wrote an op-ed recently that appeared across Iraq and Arabic. It was in English. And I didn't want to steal sort of this, when you've had such a depressing 40 years, Iraq is like the Poland. It's only Poland in Iraq. Like they're kind of in a category of their own and having to be smack dab in the middle of these violent forces in the world colliding right in their country. Um, I wrote it and I felt, especially when it was published in Iraq, I didn't want to steal from the excitement of the moment of having this international figure show up and try to bring attention to the plight of the people of Iraq. But personally, for me, it was quite disgusting. It was kind of an insult to me that he shows up now. Uh, How Mm -hmm. did the people of Iraq, you said they're great hosts, how did they perceive the Pope's visit? Yeah, so... I know you expressed concern in your article ahead of the Pope's visit, Jason. I thought it was a great article, really timely. I think it really hit the mark. Um, and, you know, that the visit would be all about the Pope and not the people of Iraq you, who, who've suffered all of this unspeakable inhumanity and, and destruction for 40 years while we've remained silent or have been, been cynical with our policies. Um, I think the Pope did. I don't know if the Pope read your article, but um, it kind of seemed like he did. Um, but in any case, I thought the Pope started out his visit um, in a really in a really good way insofar as he framed his visit on Twitter saying, I come as a penitent, asking forgiveness from heaven and our brothers for so much destruction and cruelty, a pilgrim of peace. And I think that's what he really needed to do, being silent. Now, I don't know if he was referencing his silence, and I I gave him the benefit of the doubt for that. Um, But I thought thought that was a really good start. Um, It it was... So I talked to a lot of Iraqis about the visit because I wanted to get their their opinions overall. And... um, the the visit for them um, was was a great success, and they they framed it they framed it like this to me. They said the Pope's visit was like when you're you're sick in a hospital and you get visited by a good friend. Now that good friend doesn't cure you, but he really 
he really raises your spirits. He really raises your morale. And Iraq right now feels like the forgotten country in the world. It feels certainly forgotten by the U.S. The U.S. has turned its back on on it, and the world's turned its back on it. At at one of the worst moments, frankly, in its history, where it has a, a broken economy, it's been ravaged by COVID. Um, it's teeming with Iranian-sponsored uh, militias and um, and 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 uh, and ISIS-like groups. Um, I just like cells, let's put it in those terms. But for a period of four days, you had the whole world watching this forgotten country, Iraq. And one billion Catholics alone watched their leader in Iraq. And that's what the Iraqi people told me about this, with my, my Iraqi friends. And so ahead of the visit, um, the Iraqis, in, 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 in true Iraqi fashion, um, in true Iraqi hospitality, um, cleaned up cleaned up any of the roads that the Pope would be would be uh, riding on, paved them, put in trees, put in bushes, and during the Pope's visit, there were no terrorist attacks, no militia kidnappings, virtually no violence whatsoever, and um, this this made a lot of people in the end, uh, overjoyed by the Pope's visit. And something very, very interesting happened. So ahead of the visit, when they were discussed, when Iraqi politicians were discussing it, in particular pro-Iranian politicians were, were discussing the visit, they were very critical, highly critical of it. Um, but there was so much popular support for the Pope that they couldn't go against their own people. They couldn't go against their own their own followers. So you had pro-Iranian politicians praising the Pope. You even had some Iranian writers questioning, why isn't he visiting Iran? If he's going to visit Sistani, why doesn't he visit Iran's religious leader? Um, so it, it made Iraq feel really special. And those that did criticize it were, were slammed. One militant, Abu Ali al-Askari, said that the Pope should stay in the Vatican. And we're, we're just fine in Iraq. And in typical Iraqi humor, they juxtaposed Sadr City with the Vatican. And they said, the, the Pope's doing a pretty good job in the Vatican. We'd like him to do the same thing in Sadr City. There were, there were a number of good jokes associated with the trip. The Pope is uh, known as, um, as the Baba in, in, in Arabic. And he was meeting with uh, Iraq's um, highest-ranking cleric highest ranking religious leader, and his name is Ali. So um, they framed the trip Ali Baba and the Iraqi politicians, the 40 thieves. <laughs> um, so um, the Iraqi people were saying throughout the trip that, that, that Christians are brothers and sisters. Um, we love them. Um, they're welcome in Iraq. And... Iraqi Christians and, and Iraqi Jews, please come, come back to where you belong. Um, and, and that was a sentiment that, that um, Iraqi leadership, in some cases, was, was, was mentioning as well. Um, the Pope went to all the right places, in my opinion, from the Nineveh Plains, where you, where you encounter the, the majority of Iraq's Christians. 
um, where the Pope said mass. And Jason, you visited this this place, Karakosh, where the Pope said mass in a town that was taken by ISIS. Um, and he visited Mosul, which was very brave to do because the city is still very dangerous. Um, and everyone had the Pope's schedule ahead of time. I, I sent it to you, but I wasn't the only one who had it. Um, and then the Pope did something that I respected, which I hear very few Westerners who visit Iraq do. Um, he acknowledged all the security and protection that he had from the Iraqi government. I mean, by some estimates, it was 10,000 strong. And he, and he said that, you know, ordinary Iraqis face danger every day and they don't have protection like I did. So many Westerners like, like to think that they're, they're, they're Indiana Jones and swashbuckling throughout Iraq when in reality they're, they're, they're so well protected. And I thought that that was, that was really a, uh, a great act of empathy on the part of the, the Pope. So he, he visited Baghdad. He visited Ur, the birthplace of Abraham. Um, and he visited Nejef, um, one of the holiest places of Shia Islam. And Iraq is, is a Shia Muslim majority country um, where the most powerful Iraqi Shia religious leaders live. And um, he met with the most powerful Iraqi religious leader. Um, yeah, can we Ayatollah Ali Sistani. Yeah, can we talk about Ayatollah Sistani? He's someone who's, who's demonstrated his, you know, just uh, historic courage. And yet Christians, it's a complex situation. So you have some of the Shia militia that are are defending Christians, battling ISIS, but then other Shia militia that uh, Christians feel are a threat to their existence. Can, Can you walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, this is this is tricky. It's a little bit complex. So let's start off by by talking about Sistani comes Sistani comes from um, a, a religious orientation where they don't believe that clerics should be in formal positions of power, um, unlike Iran. So it's, it's the complete opposite model of Iran. They believe that clerics should stay out of politics um, despite their incredible influence in cases like Sistani um, only only in instances where um, you have almost existential threats. So the last real public statement that Sistani made um, was in 2014. So um, he released a religious pronouncement rallying Iraqis to save their nation after the Islamic State had invaded. And you saw really how powerful uh, Sistani was because tens of thousands of men, I was there at the time, and tens of thousands of men took up arms overnight. Um, and this, this wasn't just Shia Iraqis, this was, this was Sunni Iraqis, this was Christians as well. Um, because we, the United States pulled out in 2011, this left a vacuum. So what Iran was able to do um, was to funnel money in to support forces, um, basically um, Iranian um, Iranian proxies, and and put them in the midst um, um, with 
um, I wouldn't I wouldn't call I I wouldn't call the groups that Sistani um, that that Sistani called into action and who you know, bravely bravely uh, took up arms against ISIS. I wouldn't call them militias. I'd call them uh, their original name, Popular Mobilization Units. Militias militia has a really much deeper, darker rendering in Iraqi parlance because militias go back to the days after the invasion in Iraq where basically criminal groups took up arms uh, starting in Sadr City and um, became like warlords in different territories in Iraq. And these were these were groups that the U.S. military had to fight. And like, for example, I, um, I was, I, I can't place myself at a certain place, but I was in a place where a very significant, um, uh, a very significant battle happened in defeating um, these Shia militias that were sympathetic to Iran. And they were pretty much pushed out of the country because of the vacuum that was there, they were allowed to return. And they kind of blended in with the, 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 um, the units that were just Iraqi patriots. And now Iraq has a, has a serious problem with, um, uh, Iranian backed militias in its country. Um, for example, the Pope brought up with Sistani that 3,000 Christian homes in the Nineveh Plains, um, were taken by, Shia, by the Shia militia. And he asked Sistani if he, there was anything that he could do about it. Uh, to help. And so now really it's the Pope came and pro and, and kind of put the ball in Sistani's court. Right. I, he I did. Mean, he did. He did. And I, I think the Iraqi thought as well as um, being the leader of a million Christians, the Pope, um, the Iraqis are hopeful that the Pope is going to, kind of lead the way and, and influence Western leaders in Christian nations um, or majority Christian nations to do something on Iraq um, after a period of, of such long inaction and, and turning their backs on Iraq. So hopefully that will, that will affect our president, Joe Biden. And, and so that's the Iraqi hope. And um, they didn't expect the Pope to, to solve their problems. Um, but they they believed that he he did accomplish a very important mission in 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 shining a light on Iraq once again. Um, as I said, uh, a, a place that that Iraqis believe has been been forgotten by the world. Sistani publicly pronounced um, and emphasized that the Christians are not only welcome in Iraq, but that Iraqis must protect them and, and keep them safe. So that has a that has an official resonance to it from Iraq's highest, you know, religious religious cleric, religious leader. The the Christians in Iraq, do you think they're hopeful now, or do you think they're cynical, skeptical? They've been abused, they've been abandoned, they've been forgotten. Um, I think well, I think it's a combination of emotions, and and I you know I I couldn't I couldn't do them justice in, in speaking. Speaking for them, I, I couldn't speak exhaustively. I think they have to be skeptical about anything um, until they see real actions. Um, but I do, um, 
I do think that the the visit created hope. Um, I, I saw some some Christians, actually one that you met, I can't mention his name, who was very skeptical at a refugee camp um, with the Pope's visit. Um, he came out and in, in enthusiastically welcomed the Pope and gave gave a incredible speech um, uh, among his people and whatnot. But I, I, I mean, there's a long way to go. Uh, the, the Christians of Iraq have been, have been utterly devastated and, um, you know, but, um, we, we can't let great be the enemy of good. I mean, this, this did a lot of, a lot of good for them. Um, if you look, you just, you can look at the, the, the video from the or film from the the trip just just the outpouring um, not only in Christian neighborhoods but you know, throughout the country but particularly if we focus on Christian neighborhoods I mean they were they were outpourings on the streets and uh, people welcoming the Pope in the same way that that you you welcome the, I don't know uh, rock stars or, or whatnot. I mean, the people people were effusive in their 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 praise, and um, so I didn't I didn't see I didn't see outward skepticism, but I I know it's there, um, and and for good reason. Yeah, you know, I remember we met with a, a Christian leader. We weren't really in any place. We were in a very secure part of Iraq, right? And we had met with this this religious leader, Christian religious leader, and I had apologized to him and. If you remember, I said, "Look, I'm not offering you any promises, but uh, other than I'm I'm going to try to be as loud as I can for your interest." And I, I said, mm-hmm. "I said I know I'm just just another American that's come into this camp, and I I, I fear I may be just a voyeur because there's nothing I can do, and I, I I'm sorry I'm here in this moment of indignity and maybe utterly useless to you." And he he looked at us and he said, "You're the first American we've seen." And I, I couldn't believe that. And, yeah. and then he said, where is our Pope? He's beaming pictures of wild animals yeah. uh, on the walls of St. Peter's Basilica. Why won't he beam images of my children onto the walls yeah. of St. Peter's Basilica? And, um, and that was just really heartbreaking uh, uh, for me that to see how this, and, and the look in his eyes, he just looked, it, it, the look in his eyes reminded me of that scene in Life is Beautiful, if you remember when, Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what's his name? Benini. He, his character realized his German doctor friend needed his help to solve a riddle and was going to be of no use to him in getting him and his son out of the concentration camp. That right. just sort of just exasperated despair. And, uh, so I have to imagine that sentiment is still there. And I guess now it comes to us. I always say that the most influential people in the world are, are Christians in America. We live in a constitutional Republic. We really have the ability to affect our government. You've demonstrated that in your life. Uh, our, my little organization in our own little way has been able to exert some measure of influence. What should we be doing now as Catholics, as Christians, as, as, as Americans going forward to make sure? Because I'm not a do-gooder, John. I don't want to go around the world and, and, and correct every injustice that's sprung up since original sin in all the communities across the planet. It's not my job. But I feel a real sense of responsibility for the sorrow in Iraq. You know, when you were talking about the um, 
for example, the sanctions. In a way, like Iraq is Poland, and we've played the role of the USSR. Is that a yeah. fair analogy? Yeah, I, I, I mean, we. If you're talking about just just being totally brutal to a group of people, uh, and and continuing continuing sanctions that 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 weren't working. And I mean the thing about the thing about sanctions if you get the argument well well um you, what else what other choice did we have um you know first of all that's a that's a logical fallacy um sanctions were so corrupt and if if you were anywhere high up within the American bureaucracy you knew that and I mean, it's been documented. It's been it's been exposed by now that the corruption of the oil for food program went all the way up to Kofi Annan's office. I mean, it, his his very son. And um, I mean, I, I I know someone who right after the invasion um, got a hold of of um, got a hold of documents. Um, of all of the benefactors from Iraq who are getting money on the side from the from the um, oil for food program, and um, and it was just disgusting. I mean, the amount of politicians that are, that were involved in it. Um, to my understanding, I didn't get that get too close to that issue, but to my understanding, it was American politicians as well. Well, we know that the Biden family has plundered Iraq. You know, James Biden. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah well, there's yeah, that's, that's that's when you 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 can look look up James Biden and 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 um, Hillstone. And yeah, you can, you, I'll, I'll publish the article. You don't have to chime in on that, but it, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it's I mean, it's, it's it's public it's public record. Yeah, I mean, and, and, I, uh, I I exhort you to go to go to uh, Kurdistan and. And look for the housing project. If you if you can find it, uh, <laughs> I'll give you a year's salary. A pot of gold and uh, uh, Lucky Charms, uh, all you can eat Lucky Charm cereal for the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll 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 buy a case of beer if you can find that one. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean that 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 was an example of phantom projects at the West. Did. I mean, there were a lot of there were a lot of companies. Not not to minimize and dismiss James Biden, what what he did. I mean, the scale of it. I mean, yeah, you should put that up for people to see the scale of what was done, uh, um, the scale of just um, how much money was ripped off. Um, but that was done, unfortunately, by by a number of Western companies um, who who didn't complete their contracts. Um, collected the money and set the most horrible example for a new Iraqi society. I mean, Iraq is incredibly corrupt now, um, but we we really set a bad example for them um, with 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 what we did um, what we did in the early days. I mean, um, I re- I remember. I remember all of the, the the ghost projects they were calling them projects that were supposedly done and going to look for them and they weren't they, they were paid out but they weren't they weren't done there was nothing there 
and people had taken the money and run. It was, it was, it was a travesty. It was an absolute travesty. And the burden this puts on honest politicians in Iraq, honest politicians in Iraqi Kurdistan that have the responsibility for all those people yeah. in the IDP camps, it, it's crushing, right? It's, it's crushing. It's crushing. They can't, it's, a no win, it's a no-win situation, man. It's a no-win situation that we put them in. So what I do, mean, it's... So, it's you know... A, it, it, yeah. Well, John, we have several... You know, we have members of Congress that write me that listen to this show every episode. They text me afterwards. We have bishops that listen. You know, it seems... I don't know what policies to advocate for changing the street signs in my cul-de-sac. You know, what, right. do, what do we do as citizens... Uh, that our government, our, we have a representative government, and our name has has brutalized Iraq, abandoned Iraq. What are we to do? What do, what do we do? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I'm I'm not involved with the U.S. government now, you know. So, and I mean, frankly, my you know my experience. Um, my experience with, with, with our ability to get things done in, in places like Iraq, um, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I have very, very low expectations on the government side. Um, on the private sector side, or let's say the, the, the charitable side, um, I mean, I, I, I would encourage people um, I would encourage people to su support, I mean, uh, charities in, in Northern Iraq, um, to, 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 uh, give a helping hand, um, and much needed support to, uh, the, the Christians of the Nineveh Plains, for example, the first Christian community in the world. So they don't disappear. I mean, that's our, that's, I consider that to be, and I think you do as well. That's that's our holy land, and I mean, it would be another tragedy if that disappeared altogether. Um, other other uh, great charities, I would contribute to widow and orphan funds for Iraq, and um, I don't think there. I I don't want to endorse a particular a particular charity on this broadcast, but I. I think, I mean, we could put some things up, but, but, uh, organizations that don't have big bureaucracies and, and that don't have managers with really high paid salaries. I mean, organizations that, that focus on getting the lion's share of people's hard earned money in this country into the hands of the people that really need it. Yeah. Um, I, I'll put some, yeah. of those, I'll put some of those charities in the link. And then of course there's our organization, the vulnerable people project. And right. And I'd like to, I, yeah, I wanted to segue into that. Exactly. I mean, I mean, all, all of the great work that you've done and, you know, I think you've got a lot of great work ahead of you in Iraq. Well, I, I am, I am eager to get back in the project that we're working on together in the Nineveh Plains. I can't wait till we can start telling people about that. And one of yeah. the things, thanks to you and your friendships and the doors that you opened for us, you know, I don't want to take credit because I don't know this is our doing, but I would say that we lobbied the Trump administration very hard to make sure aid was delivered directly to the parts of Iraq that needed it instead of going to the central government to be dispersed. We wanted to make sure the aid was getting directly to the IDP camps. And that, for the first time in the history of our country, that policy decision 
that that policy went into effect. And that pol and I don't know anyone else that was lobbying for that. Um, I don't I don't know anyone that was lobbying, Jason. And and um, if you remember in our trip, um, we met one American in the Nineveh Plains. <laughs> One great American in the Nineveh Plains at a medical clinic. Um, the UN had not come come to any of the refugee camps that we visited. Uh, USAID had not come. Um, and um, yeah, I can't help but think through your efforts, um, you, you you changed policy and um, and helped those people and and. Um, but you, you, you got to see firsthand just being, being the first, being the first American to come visit them. Um, refugee camps that had, had been there for gosh, three years when we visited. I mean, when we visited, um, we, we were still, we were still doing airstrikes on, on Mosul. I mean, you came, I brought you pretty close to it. Well, it was and, startling uh, when we were watching the airstrikes and the kids were playing soccer and they didn't even look up. That's Iraq. I mean, they didn't that's even the, look that, up. Either the U.S. is bombing a couple miles away, flying right over our heads. Yeah. These kids didn't even look up from their soccer game. That's really heartbreaking. And they had come from villages that were still smoldering uh, when we were driving through them, that whether they were Christian or Yazidi villages that ISIS had just had just pulled out. I mean, so we, we, we were so close to the retreat from those villages that the villages were still smoldering. They were still on fire and they were, they were utterly destroyed. And, and the, the, um, I mean, the, the, the churches were, the, the, the churches were, were, were violated and, and, um, you know, um, you know, it, it, it was heartbreaking. In, in the Christian and Yazidi towns, I mean, all of these, all of the young women who were missing, who had been sold into slavery, while the U.S. while the U.S. government watched, and it's not like Iraq was some far flung place that we didn't know about. I mean, we we contributed largely to doing this to Iraq, um, and. We we left Iraq, Iraq vulnerable. We we broke it and, and and we didn't fix it properly. You know, um, we've been friends. But that's not the average American who I'm criticizing. I'm criticizing. I'm criticizing our our our, our establishment, our bureaucracy. I'm not criticizing the average American and all the great Americans that went over there to serve. Well, and that's what not. was amazing that the Iraqis understood that we were at this human rights conference yeah. and you know, the quote unquote state department was lurking outside wanting to know who we were and why they weren't invited. And we were, and, uh, and I apologized to the, to the, all this delegation of, of leaders from every ethnic community in Iraq. It was so diverse. Iraqi friends of ours were like, I never met anyone from this community, oh, yeah, yeah. that community. And it was yeah. this beautiful event. And I apologized for the failures of our foreign policy. And an imam got up and really chastised me and said, don't you ever apologize for the American people. We have, right. we have come to learn who the American people are. And yeah. you, you Americans think you are so naive as to think you are responsible for the actions of your government. You are no more responsible for the actions of our gov your government than we were for the actions of Saddam Hussein. 
Yeah. So profound. And they went on and on yeah. about how much they love Americans and this GI they met yeah. here and this GI they met there. All of them. Oh, yeah. I, I think, I mean, on a personal level, Americans would be absolutely shocked if they traveled to Iraq at the treatment that, that they would get. I mean, I've brought pure civilian Americans into Iraq, I mean, who were scared to death to go there from, well, obviously from its reputation. And and um, the treatment that you get as an American, I mean, we're friends now. We're historical friends. And... Um, like we're we're they miss us too <laughs> there aren't enough there aren't enough of us around i'm often tired being the only only american in you know in, in a in a restaurant or a hotel or um yeah i mean people would be absolutely shocked by 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 the great treatment that you receive that i mean the middle east is known for its hospitality but iraq is extra special in that way well, you know, we've been friends since before the war, since before 9-11. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you are a linguist. You are uh, fluent in Arabic. Um, before 9-11, before the war, I was falling in. I had a Syrian friends and Chaldean friends. But, I, you know, sort of is Iraqi, broader. You know, I didn't know any Iraqis other than the Christians from Iraq that I grew up with and around in Chicago. But you had already had a love for Iraq, a love for Syria. In the past 20 years, I've seen you develop a real love for the Iranian people. You've been shared with me in Iran. We have like a higher approval rating than any other country in the world, Americans. Oh yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. I, I've never, yeah, you have to separate the Iranian people from their leadership. It's absolutely crazy. They're, they like, um, Americans that I know who go there. Um, I really can't because of right, right now, because of my, my former, former government career, but, um, Americans that I know who go there, get mobbed, get mobbed like, like rock stars. I mean, the people are so nice to them. They just, they want to come up and, and, um, buy them a juice and talk to them. And they're just, they, every American that I know who goes there has the most wonderful experience. And I have tons of Iranian friends in Iran, you know, who I talk to via Skype. And, um, I've, I've never seen, a braver people and how they talk about their government, how they can't stand their government. I mean, the uh, religious clerics, they, they have a, a pejorative word for them. I mean, they make fun of them. Taxi cab drivers won't pick them up. Um, they're mocked. They're mocked openly by Iranian girls. Iranian, Iranian girls wear their hijabs. They're, uh, they have to wear hijabs, but they wear them so low in their head that almost all all their hair is coming out. It's it looks just like it's a style statement. And if any of these clerics say something, oh, they get a tongue lashing. Um, yeah, Iran is such a misunderstood place. Great people, terrific people, um, and um, just ter- a terrible regime, a terrible regime. And and um, and Iran, there was a there was a survey and. When I was in the when I was in the government, I and mean, we we had done some stir, surveys on foreign countries where you you call in to the country, and you you gotta you can't you can't mirror image. You can't think that other people think the way you do, or their culture is the same way as yours. Obviously, so surveys work. You you got to be a little bit skeptical about them in places like Iran that have autocratic governments. 
um, because in the U.S., I mean, you can speak freely in this survey, but in Iran, when you're you're calling someone up, um, you know, maybe they can't speak that freely. But for what it's worth, there was a there was a, a Dutch survey that was done, and um, I forget how many respondents they asked. It was quite a bit, um, but the amount of respondents who said that they who said that they had no that they had no religion, no religious affiliation whatsoever, um, made Iran like the first Muslim country that's a non-Muslim country in the Middle East. And I can tell you from speaking with Iranians, they're some of the most secular people I've ever met. And even the religious Iranians that I know are not religious in the way of political Islam of the regime. They're just, they're pious Muslims. And I mean, this may sound you know, outrageous to some, to some Catholics. Some people may get angry by me saying this, um, but pious Muslim friends of mine are very similar to Orthodox Catholic friends, very similar. And I, I'm not talking about what they believe specifically, but I'm talking about their behavior um, and, and their reverence for their religion and, and their reverence for their families, you know, just valuing their families, valuing life. Um, you know, you'll find, you'll find no pious Muslims being, being, um, pro-abortion i mean it's, it's it's unheard of you know they're always shocked to, to discover we share the same values and we've brought friends from iraq over to our parties and and and, and shared our social community you, know, you know you know i've brought some of them around to parties and events in washington dc and they're always like is this what america's like i'm always like yes this is what we are all like just like <laughs> this because we're you know that they feel so at home there's one mutual friend of ours i'll never forget we i took him to a party in Old Town Alexandria, and he just, he felt so at home. He, the smile on his face, you know, he had this big beaming smile. He was so happy and yeah. he was having the time of his life, and he felt at home. And that's what's amazing. When I asked a friend of ours um, who was shocked that they let him in the country because of, of his previous employer, um, but he was allowed to come here, and uh, he said that he felt more at home in the United States of America after a day than he had felt in any other country in the Middle East. And I feel so at home in Iraq. And, yeah. and uh, I, I wish everyone, and then this was the question I was going to ask you. When we were friends going back over 20 years, right. when you would talk to me about Iraq, like you would light up, and Syria, right. you would really light up. Right. And I asked you, well, why did you choose Arabic as your language specialty? And you said, I thought you were going to say because of your love of the people, but you said, I love the language. It's a it's a beautiful language. So you fell in love with the language, and then you fell in love with Iraq. What was it about Iraq, going back to your college days? I guess that you. What is it that you fell in love with? Iraq is so rich. I mean, it's it is the cradle of civilization. Our civilization. Um, it it has virtually no tourism, which is a shame. Understandable. I mean, first of all, Iraq is nowhere near as, as, as violent as people think it is. There have there have been um, there have been some incidents uh, recently here and there, but it's such a rich place. Uh, if you love ancient history, Iraq's the place for you. If you if you love um, classical classical Islamic 
history, medieval history, um, Ottoman history, um, modern Middle Eastern history, modern politics. I mean, Iraq is just so fascinating. It's 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 ancient, and for an American from a from a new such a new country going to one of the oldest countries on the planet and a country that that influenced our civilization and and that's really a part of our civilization i mean with the first christian community being in iraq um i mean it's 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 just it's so rich it's so deep um it has so much history and um I find that I find that um, that that has an influence on 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 the Iraqi people. They're 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 just unique people. Um, I think you're, uh, I'm generalizing, um, but in my experience, um, the Iraqi personality and the American personality it's really similar. Um, is in terms of. Um, our concepts of loyalty, um, our concepts of honor, um, our sense of humor is really similar. Iraqis, Iraqis have, um, an irreverent sense of humor without getting dirty. Um, and we just, we just get along great. And that, I mean, that was evidenced by the thousands of servicemen and women who, who served there. Um, uh, just how many Iraqi friends they made during their experience, and in um, Iraqi started started actually copying American culture, um, for better or for worse. Uh, they started dressing like um, servicemen when when they um, when they weren't in uniform. I mean, with uh, desert combat boots and and, B, and BDUs and and uh, black T-shirts. They started lifting weights and. And unfortunately, um, getting tattoos as well. But, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's uncanny to me that the U.S. doesn't have a big presence in Iraq. Well, um, I know you fought for our, um, you fought for us as a nation to keep the promise. We made a promise to the people of Iraq. Yeah, we did. We made a promise. Yeah, we broke exactly. it. Exactly. Yep. You know, you yep. did. You're still there. I'll never forget. I was in your office in Virginia, and you had a, a, a picture of uh, an Iraqi city. I, I won't say, and then a, a, a picture of a, another great world city. And you said, "I'm." And at the time, I remember. You know, you're like a brother to me, and you uh, you've already been, you've been wounded several times, and ISIS was barreling down in this town. And you had said to me, "I'm not leaving until." This city looks like that city, and it was like one of the most beautiful cities in the world. And you're like, I'm keeping the promise that we made with or without the United, United States government, and that's why I've, I've greatly admired you. And just even prior to 9-11 and, and the invasion, I was falling in love with it. You know, when you have a friend who talks about a mutual friend, you can fall in love with that friend before you meet them. And yeah. I was just falling in love with Iraq and our long conversations, as you would share with me, uh, about the country, and I maybe want to end it on this. You have, you had uh, Sistani and the Pope, and you had these Christian communities come together. There's division in the Christian communities. There's division by region, ethnicity, sure. Sunni, Shia. Well, you know, America. Well, welcome to human nature. I mean, right. So this is my this is the question. So America is a big, diverse country. We have Cajuns from Louisiana, Hawaiians yeah, from Hawaii. Yeah. We have 
blue blood descendants from the Mayflower in New England, but there's a sense that, that you're an American. What is it yeah. that that is that sense that is Iraqi? You have the Chaldeans, Assyrians, Kakai, Yazidis, Shia, Sunni, uh, the, all the regions. Um, what is it that you would say is that one thing that you see in, that they might not even see in each other, but, but when you look at them, you're like, this is what makes them Iraqi. It's a, it's a will to live no matter what obstacles you put before them. Um, it could be even threat of death. It's a life force that they have, that they all have that I've, I've never seen before. Um, these are people that truly love life and have, an, have that life, have a life energy to them, a life force. I can't express it in any other terms. Um, you, there can be mortars going off in one neighborhood and, and there's one marriage ceremony after another taking place and people are celebrating. Um, you know, they don't, they don't let life get them down and, um, they really, they, they accept that life has a lot of hardship, but they choose to live and they choose to have families and big families and keep going. That's what I would say. And, you know, you, no matter what you are inside of Iraq as an Iraqi, if you're from Iraq and you live there, when you leave Iraq, you're Iraqi. You're not, you're not, you, you know, you're not Shia, you're not Muslim, you're not Sunni, you know, you know, you're, you're Iraqi when you leave the country. You know, those, those, and those divisions happen uh, usually when you have extraordinary circumstances, extraordinarily bad circumstances, um, you know, and, and look, um, Iraq has a neighbor, you know, the government has a neighbor that's been trying to undermine that place and destroy everything that we tried to do from 2003. Um, because Iran does not want to see a strong Iraq. Um, and that's the Iran has played the role of the ultimate saboteur um, in Iraq um, and continues to do that. And once again, I, I can't say enough wonderful things about the Iranian people, but the regime, um, uh, it's almost as if they're still fighting the Iran-Iraq war. It's almost as if they're taking revenge. And they can't, they can't stand to see Iraq succeed. And Iraq is wealthy. It has oil wealth. It has agriculture. It has minerals. It has, it has really sharp, hardworking people. Um, yet, um, it's, it's undermined by this, by this neighbor. And before that, I mean, during the Iraq war, Iraq was undermined by other countries of the region that wanted to see the U.S. experiment in representative government fail. So they sent everything that they had to, to, to try to destroy that place, and they failed. Um, I mean, Iraq, is, Iraq continues to suffer now, um, but it's still going, and it will continue to keep going. And you, you can't take that life force away from Iraqis. And, um, you know, I believe in them, obviously. You know, in many, the destiny of Iran and Iraq and the United States are together. We have a shared destiny. 
You know, when you think about yeah. it, my brother yeah. and my son fought in Iraq. You know, my best friend right. was wounded in Iraq. So right. it's um, Iran and Iraq and the United States, their destinies are really together. And Christian, Muslim, our destiny. And, um, and we, have, yeah. we have so much in common. We're really, we're compatible as peoples. Like we're partners. We are compatible as peoples, absolutely. I, 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 we're, we are compatible with the Iraqis. And we are compatible with Iranians, Iran. I mean, they were our, they were our go-to country. They were our best friends up until up, up the Shah was overthrown. And um, yeah, I mean, for people interested in Iraq um, beyond charity and whatnot, um, I wouldn't listen to the pundits on television. I would always ask this question: You know, has this person lived in this place? You know, has this person? visited this place, you know, um, and not, not stayed behind the confines of the embassy wall because you, 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 you can't know a country unless you've been there. Uh, um, I mean, I could, I could, I could make, I, I, so I would say if you're interested in a place like, like Iraq, read, read about it on your own. Um, I mean, especially if you're, uh, especially if you're a Christian and you're interested in in the the first Christian community in the world, um, but it's a fascinating place and 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 um, you if you can if you can get a if you can get around um, the image that was created, I mean largely for political reasons about Iraq as being this 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 hell on earth, Karjakistan. Uh, to stay away from, if you can get away, get around that. Um, I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll find a fascinating place worth learning about and, um, with some really great people. And, um, that can, that, that can teach us a lot about, about, um, about our identity. Um, have, having been, having been once again um i mean really the birthplace of our civilization you know you and i have talked about how great it'll be the day where we can have tourism into iraq and you took me i saw where alexander the great assaulted a hilltop fort i saw the um we went to the grave of uh, nahum the prophet i saw the oldest extant copy of the new testament that had been in a monastery, this monastery uh, above El Kush, since 306 A.D., which um, was which was shocking to me. That was uh, 60 years, 70 years before the Council of Rome. Yet it was a complete extent New Testament before the Council of Rome even said this is what the New Testament is. We went to a church uh, founded by Saint Thomas. I embarrassed myself. I said, "Which Saint Thomas did you name it after?" They're like, "Well, the one that built it." <laughs> and I said, "Which one was that?" They're like. Uh, the doubting apostle. Oh, and I said, he built this church. They looked at me like, I know dummy. This is the new church. It was built in 1100. The first one was burned down burned down in 1100. So we were in a church that was, um, built. Well, well, William the conqueror was alive and that's the new church. Yeah. That's the new church. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Really unbelievable. And, uh, I just, Thank you for coming on, and and uh, this, this show pleasure. is Thanks for having show me was, on. The show was rich, and um, I prime you asked. You said you can only give me twenty minutes, and uh, we we did uh, 
20 Hawaiian minutes. So that's about 60 minutes. Well, it, it flew by. Well, always a pleasure, Jason. And uh, thank you so much for doing all that you do. No, it's a privilege. And, you know, my great shame is we don't do more. And my goal is to amplify, amplify our voice every day and every day uh, amplify our influence just a little bit each day to have a little more influence uh, and a little louder voice. So, and you've helped absolutely. us. Absolutely. You have been such a blessing to our work and helping us amplify our voice into this past administration. And, and we hope this next administration. All right, brother. No, we'll, ne- we'll never give up. No, you got that, it, brother. That, that ain't going to happen. We, we promised. I promised. You know, when, when we went there, I, I, I looked your friends in the eye and I said, I promise you have a friend and I will be relentless. And I, I hope I've, I've, I've lived up to that promise to be relentless uh, since, since that trip. So. Absolutely, brother. All right. Okay. You, you take care and uh, thanks so much. All, right, I'm All gonna, my best. I'm going to wrap this up and sell pillows. <laughs> okay. All great. Right, thanks, John. Goodbye. All right. Goodbye. All, right. All right, guys. That was the show. The show of shows. There, there's, this man is my brother. And um, because of the nature of his work and he's still in the region, we didn't use his real name. But let me tell you, there's not a man who has, has sacrificed more for this country and for the people of Iraq. And I admire him greatly. And when he was in government and now that he's still in Iraq serving um, the people of Iraq and serving really our interests and serving the people of Iraq, I, I was so grateful when he was in government to know that we had somebody at his level that, had, that loved the people where he served. He loved this country, but he loved the host country in which he was serving. That whether or not our politicians meant it when they said, we are there for the people of Iraq. I don't think they meant that, right? But he meant it. And there are a few other people like him that meant it. It just takes a few people, really, doesn't it? It just takes a few people. But you could tell just by listening to him, I think you gathered his level of, level of expertise. What you, you were not able to get, and I won't be able to convey, is his personal sacrifice, not just more than two decades in the region, uh, three civilian Purple Hearts. He sacrificed a lot for this country. Um, so that's the setting in which the Pope went. So we, it, it, was, it was bigger than the Pope, but I just don't think many of us, I know I don't, it's really hard for us to grasp the, 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 um, the sort of 40,000-foot view. And I'm glad that I've always been focused since the invasion, but that he took it back to the Iran-Iraq war. I think that was profound for me, illuminating for me, uh, because you take it back to this war, one of the worst wars in the history of mankind, that was a proxy war on behalf of our interests, in part. Then you had our sanctions, which were brutal. Our, our war and all of our promises that we never kept. We got tired, yawn. Um, and then the silence of the Western church. And now the Pope goes. So I think, I think John gave the Pope an A. And said that was great. And so I hope this is a new beginning and a fresh start and a recommitment uh, to the beautiful people of Iraq. If you want to work with the Vulnerable People Project, become a monthly donor at any level, like $5, $10, $20 or more. You get a free copy of my book, The Race to Save Our Century, that came out before ISIS. And I said that there will be a genocide in Iraq. And if we don't stop that, we will see genocides and democides cascade across the 21st century. And unfortunately, we're seeing that. The Vulnerable People Project is committed to standing with the vulnerable. 
the most vulnerable people in the world at the most vulnerable moments of their life. That's where we are, uh, uh, from Iraq to East Turkestan. Go to thegreatcampaign.org and see what we're about. Become a, a monthly donor. Share this episode with your friends. This episode is uh, a man who has a life of, of knowledge and service in, in an hour. And I think this will give people some depth of understanding of the beauty uh, the beauty of Iraq and the beauty of the people of Iraq. I wish you could all go, and I'm looking forward to doing some shows from Iraq in the next 12 months. Their, their COVID restrictions have been pretty strict, and I'm hoping that they open up and I don't have to take the vaccine. I will take an ethically, and I, I'm an, I don't want to take the vaccine. If there's an ethically derived vaccine to do my job, I will take that vaccine to go and share the stories that we would need to tell, and I, and I will do that. So I hope to do more of that because I want to share the beauty of the communities in Iraq, so unique, so diverse, but then, as uh, John said, there's that line, that thin line, sort of that thread, that line of gesture that connects uh, all Iraqis. So go to thegreatcampaign.org, become a monthly donor, stay in touch. We're going to have a new social media platform that we are um, going to be sharing with everyone soon uh, where we can really participate together in a community, uh, in, in, our, in our life of service to the vulnerable, and also having fun. Uh, this episode has also been brought to you by... My pillow, the best pillow. And you know, when I begin traveling the world again, I cannot wait. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a special travel my pillow because I've given all my travel pillows away. And I can't wait to bring that travel pillow with me to Iraq, to Sudan, and Kenya. These are three countries I should be going to in the next couple of months. I'm trying to get into Yemen on another project. I'm bringing that my pillow with me. You can wash it and dry it. It's got the warranty and it's just it's comforting to have a wonderful travel pillow. But right now, you know there's that Giza Dream Sheet special. And uh, there are a lot of other deep, deep discounts at MyPillow.com when you use the code JONES. This has been a very special episode of The Jason Jones Show. Until next time, aloha. This has been The Jason Jones Show. Powered by Mudhouse Media. Oh,